Father, we pray for Pastor Mitch, that you be with him as he serves you here. Bless him today. Enable him as he shares what you've given him. When we leave here today, Father, help us like the ones on the road to Emmaus to be able to say, did not our hearts burn within us? Set us on fire to serve you, God, to, to do what you want us to do. Not hold back, but to do exactly what you want us to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And our children can be dismissed to junior church. Good morning, everyone. Today's scripture passage is coming from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. You can find that on page 980 in your pew Bible or on the back of the sermon handout. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality in God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So I'm going to start by telling you the big deal up front. The big idea of, this, of the sermon, and I think of this passage, is that we are if you're going to be a disciple of Christ, you're called to be a servant servant to God and a servant to others with the same mindset as Jesus Christ. So that's, that's what I want to get across. If, you, uh, if I lose you in any other stuff, that's where we're headed this morning. And I think that that call comes out of the passage as, as I look at it, and it conveys not just from the life of Jesus, but actually even more, surprisingly, from the death of Jesus. Christians make a big deal about Jesus' death. You ever notice that? Like, what's our main symbol? Cross. It's how he died. Like, that would have been totally weird at one point in history to make, you know, it'd be like us making a, a, an electric chair our symbol of some way. Like, so it was a means of death. And we make that the main thing when we talk about our Savior. And it was because of his death, even more than his life, that, that, that Jesus, I mean, his life mattered, but even more his death. I was thinking about this. Okay. 
uh, Abraham Lincoln, right? His tragic death. And, and you could say he gave his life for his country, and that was, that was a thing. But it wasn't, it wasn't his death that, that really mattered. You know, his death was the tragic assassination after he had accomplished the great things of, of holding the Union together, of seeing us through the Civil War, of emancipating uh, the slaves. Uh, and so, I mean, his death was tragic. In fact, I, I wonder if, if we would have been, like, what would have looked like if he would not, if he would have lived and could have led the country through the Reconstruction era and ensured that, that the black Americans, especially in the South, really true were set free rather than, than kind of the way it played out. Um, so it was his life that Lincoln did his main work. His death was tragic. With Jesus, his life was important, but his death is what was the, the, the thing that, that it, it's how he gave his life for others that really was the thing we keep talking about. There are four ways the Bible talks about the death of Jesus, the death of Christ, the cross, in, in four ways that I think have different like angles of looking at it. The first is as a demonstration of God's love. Right, if you're at a, a football game and you're looking at the end zone, someone's going to have a sign with, with, with something up, right? What are they going to have? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall have everlasting life, right? That one we know. So God, it, it's a demonstration. Another place it says God demonstrates his love for us in this. Christ died for us even while we were sinners. So his, his death was a demonstration of how much God loves us and wants to, to be with us and have us be with him. The other way the Bible often talks about the death of Christ, and here's kind of fancy words, substitutionary atonement. And that's just another way of saying he died in our place. He gave his life because we were sinners and, and we couldn't pay for our own sins. Someone had to do it for us to set us right with God. And because of that, we then are justified. We have, we're set right with God through what Jesus did. Um, 1 Peter 3.18, Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. That's substitutionary atonement. The third way the Bible will talk about the death of Christ is as a great victory over the enemy. Through his death, Jesus destroyed the power of death. The power of God's enemy, Satan. So Hebrews 2, 14 says this. says, since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself, meaning Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, meaning he became human, that through death, so in other words, to, to die, Jesus had to become human first, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. God couldn't destroy the devil from above without also destroying us. He had to destroy him from below by becoming one of us. And that's how he won the victory. The, the great picture of that is in the Narnia books, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Right? That, C.S. Lewis gives us a great picture of, of as, how does Aslan defeat the White Witch? He, he gives himself um, to, 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 to die 
so that he can have victory. So those are three of the ways you see. The fourth one is the one that comes up in our passage and is a little less common in what, how we talk about it. But I still think this is very significant. And what the cross shows is the servant heart of Jesus, that, that it was the ultimate act of humble service for Jesus to give his life. In fact, that's how Jesus talked about his own death. He says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was coming to, to, to give his life away, to give it for people who would not understand or even appreciate what he was doing. It was an act of humble service. Each of these has a different implication for us as believers. So if we look at it as God's, uh, the death of Christ is a demonstration of God's love, what does that call? It calls us into a love relationship with God, right? That, that God loved us that much, we have to respond and return that love. If, if we look at it as substitutionary atonement, we, we remember, we, we keep this truth in mind that we are justified by his work, not our own righteous deeds, if we look at it as the great victory over sin and death and the devil, it calls us to allegiance to Christ, even through hardship, to hold fast to him when, it, when, when things in life are hard because we're going we're gonna to stay on the side of the winning one. So this fourth one, when we look at Jesus as the, the ultimate act of, Jesus' death as the ultimate act of humble service, what then does that call us to? If we're going to follow Jesus, we follow in that same way. Calls us to be servants with the same mindset as Christ. So I titled the sermon, The Ladder. Guess what that means? I brought a ladder. I didn't bring a tall ladder because I didn't want to make you too nervous. But... A little stepladder. So, I want us to think about what Jesus did in this way. And I think this will help us see it. So, Philippians 2. I'm going to start in the second half of it. Starting at verse 6. And then we'll go back and catch the beginning. But what we know from, from this passage. And it says that Christ, Jesus Christ, being in very nature God. Or being in the form of God. I, I learned this passage initially in the NIV, so I think the language of the NIV is what's stuck in my head more than the version we read from. But So Jesus, am I making anyone nervous? I'm, I'm holding on, all right? I'm holding on. Um, he was in very nature God. So, so for us, we come to be when we are, are born or we're, we're formed in, in the womb by our God. That's, that's how we come to be. Jesus was before he was born. He existed prior to his birth. He was, in fact, from the very beginning. He was God. He was with God. And so Jesus was in very nature God. It's the Son of God with the Father and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity pre-existed creation. So he was at the top of the ladder. But it says, he did not consider that, that 
status with God, the privileges of God, something that he had to grasp onto, hold on to. Instead, he became one of us. He gave up the, the privileges, in a sense, the, 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 that, of, that place with God to become a human being and walk in our mix, walk in our midst, um, born in the likeness of man. Not that he was just pretending to be man, he was also fully human. He became one of us in order, because if, if not, he could not have died for us. He had to be fully human. But not only did he become human, it says he took on the very nature of a servant. I mean, think about it. He could have become human, but he could have come, like, you know, as the king who everyone honored and respected. He could have been wealthy, lived in palaces. Instead, he came in the most humble of manners, born to a poor couple, living as a refugee part of his life, having to flee the powers, uh, growing up to, to, to become an, a carpenter, eventually hanging out with fishermen, and it says, you know, the Son of Man had no, no place to lay his head, so he had to use a stone as a pillow, right? He lived a humble life, not just an a exalted life. Um, and then, in the ultimate act of stepping down, he, he became obedient to death. He took on humanity so much that he would subject himself to that, that great humiliation of dying of giving up his life. He humbled himself even to death, and then he went further. Knowing, you know, he and the Father could have chosen any kind of death. Like, if you got to choose how you would be executed, right, I'm sure you would come up, you could come up with something, you know, that where you fall, drift off in your sleep. His death was the worst you could ever imagine. Came obedient to death, even death on a cross. Crucifixion was designed to humiliate. The Romans did it. It was not an efficient mode of execution. It was meant to shame the individual and shame the people. It's saying, we could do this to your, your king, to your people. Don't, don't mess with Rome. And so you were stripped and held up, nailed up, unable to do anything but barely breathe until you finally die. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus stepped all the way down the ladder. But God did not leave him there. God the Father exalted him raised him back up, gave him life again. And, and not just, you know, not just spiritual life. He gave him a physical, physical existence so that Jesus will be the firstborn among, among the resurrection. There'll come a day when, I mean, all of us will die at some point, but it says that if we're with Christ, we get the same kind of resurrected body that he gets. He's the firstborn, raised so that he had a physical body, walked around. Um, but he didn't keep walking around on earth. God then raised him up, and he ascended back into the heavenly realms. Right? So he, 
He spent 40 days walking in the earth, and then he was ascended so that we speak now of him being seated at the right hand of, of the Father. And, but, but that's not it. God, God raised him further. It says he bestowed on him the name that is above every name. You see, Jesus now, because of what he's done, is able to bring salvation to all who turn to him. Acts 4.12 says there's one name given under heaven and earth by which men and women can find salvation. And that's Jesus Christ. He's given the name above every name. Um, that at, and then at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. So he's put in charge of the kingdom. The kingdom of Christ now belongs to, he is the highest authority in the universe. God has put all things under him, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. He is the one we affirm as the king and Lord of all. And then I, I left myself one step too. I need to go up one more. Should I step up on? No. Okay. <laughs> and it says, and last, and every tongue shall acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you realize throughout the whole world, there are people singing songs to Jesus this morning? Throughout the whole world, people of every tribe and language and nation and people group. I know we're kind of used to thinking of Christianity as a Western thing, you know, Europe and America. It, we are a minority of believers. Um, there's people of, of all races throughout the world who are singing praise to the Savior this morning. Yes, woohoo! All right, enough of the latter. I know there was tension in the room because of that. So, given that, that's the path that Jesus took. To be a disciple means to walk the path of Jesus. In this world, what do we try to do? We try to climb the ladder. How much of our time is to move up? Right? You move up. We just had graduation, right? You move up a grade, or you move from high school to college, right? You're, you're, you go higher. Um, as you go up, what do you get? You get more status, you know, maybe you, you get a promotion at work, you get a bigger office, you have things that go with that. Um, you might get, you know, a higher raise or a higher level of authority. You get, you, get, you get more opportunities to tell people what to do. The higher you go, you know, you get that power. And, and in many ways, it's natural to, to rise up as you gain experience and ability, as your abilities are tested of course, that, that's, there's a natural side to that, but there's more to that. There is a drive, a desire within us, an ambition to, to get up that ladder, to be great, to be known. And, and that desire can get a hold of us, even to the point where we want to cut down the people above us or the people below us so they don't overtake us so that we can move up. The, the great Shakespearean play of Macbeth. Macbeth is an able general, and I forget the name of the king, uh, who, the king of Scotland. He's, he's an able general, and he's honored, but that's not enough. He, he hears a prophecy that he will be the next king, and then he has to make it happen. And so he and his wife, Lady Macbeth, plot together, and they kill the king, and then he becomes 
the next king. And that it's the, the play is about the ambition of a man and a woman and his wife. And that's in us, right? We, wanna, we want fame. We want to rise up the ladder, the, the fame ladder. We want to be known. We, we want to rise up the career ladder, right? We've got to keep going. We don't want to get stuck at a certain level. We want to rise up in the, the social ladder. Yeah, you know, we're considered, you know, we're the, we're the person everyone wants to be with. We want to be, you know, if, you're, if we're at the party, then everyone wants to be there, the social ladder. We want to we rise up the power ladder. We want to be the ones who get to tell others what to do. That is the way the world works. When we say we want to follow Jesus, we are called to follow in his path. So I read before how Jesus said he came to be served, came to serve, not to be served. In that same passage of Mark 10, he's talking to his disciples. His disciples are fighting over who's the greatest, right? Who's, who's highest on the ladder among the disciples. See, this happens in the church. Just because you become a Christian does not mean you don't stop wanting to climb up that ladder. It happens. It happens among pastors. It happens among ministry people. It happens everywhere. Because that, that, that desire to be honored is, is so ingrained within us. And Jesus says to them, he says to his disciples, you know, you know how it works among the people of this world, the Gentiles. You know, they get authority, and what do they do? They lord it over others. And it says their high officials exercise authority over them, right? They get to tell people what to do. Not so with you. Whoever wants to be great must be the servant. Whoever wants to be first must even be the slave of all. Wow. We are called to follow in the path of Jesus. And if we decide we want to be his disciple, we got to take on the role of servant. Um, So let's go back to the beginning of our passage. And see what Paul is urging the, the Philippians. Because he's calling them to, to do this. And so verse 1 starts off with, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, uh, it, gives, it gives four phrases. Now, in, the, in NIV, the, the one I'm familiar, each one starts with a new if. So, you, you know, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any participation in the Spirit, ESV sort of simplifies that and just makes it all, but it's still four phrases. And so the four different phrases are encouragement in Christ. The word there, encouragement, is, is paraclesis. It means one, it, it's related to the word of one who walks alongside. Right? Imagine walking alongside someone and you can encourage them along the way. That's the, if you have anyone who's walking along through life with you. And ultimately, we have Christ walks along in life with us if we've said yes to him. Then the second one, if any comfort from his love. So the first one is Christ. I I would submit the second one, even though it doesn't spell it out, is the Father. Right? we, We know God our Father he is not distant. We know that he is the God of love and grace, and his love is coming to our lives. So if, if we've had encouragement from, from having Christ with us, if we have love because God has come in our life, the third if, if, if we have any common sharing, or just simply word fellowship with the Spirit. So you got Christ, the Son, the Father, and now 
the Spirit. Right? If you have fellowship with the Spirit, if you know Jesus, you're never alone. That's so valuable. Right? If you know Jesus, you're never, they could throw you into the deepest, darkest pit and you're not alone. You can face death and you're not alone. We have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And so if, if, you've, if you experience that indwelling presence, and then the last one, it says, if any tenderness and compassion, or the word sympathy could also work. If it, that comes from one another. So I think we got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The, the fourth if is what we have by being a part of God's people, a fellowship. Um, if you have any compassion and sympathy as you, as you walk together, let, let me ask you this. When have you experienced any of this as a believer in Christ? When is a time when you were down and you felt encouragement, comfort, fellowship, either from God's spirit or from, the, from your fellow family of God? That's what Paul's asking them. Ultimately, we have these things because Jesus started the ball rolling. He, he came as a servant and it started a chain, right? That has a, that if someone is serving you, it's probably because Jesus served them in some way or someone else served them before them. So he started a new way of thinking about him because he, he started this thing. Now we can serve one another and we experience all this because of him. So that's just verse one. All right. And then Paul says, make my joy complete. So it's Paul's joy that they have received from God, right? That they've, that they've come into this kind of relationship where they receive. But he says, make my joy complete by now starting to give, to do the same, to take the same role of service, right? Receiving is only half of it. If you never say, I have received, now I too am going to give my life in service, and so he, he talks about um, make my joy complete by having these same qualities. Anyone who claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Paul started the letter way back, our first sermon on this. He says, he says Paul and Timothy, bond servants, or it can be translated, slaves of Christ. Paul had taken that for himself, that he would be a, a slave, the lowest of servants, for the sake of Christ. And now he's saying, we are called to do the same. It's not just for pastors, for religious professionals. It's not just for elders or church leaders, though it, it certainly applies to all of us in that sense. But it is a call upon all who would follow Christ. So give thought. Heed, will you heed the call this morning to be a servant? If so, we have to do it in the right way. We have to serve in the way of Christ. Is it possible to sense, be a servant, but do it wrong? To do it with arrogance, right? To follow Christ and to actually do more damage than good. What kind of servant will we be? Um, we need to do it in the mindset of Christ. So verses 2 to 5. I think there are four ways. Four, Paul has four concerns about how they will serve God. 
what kind of servant will they be? And so I, in my handout, always a good idea, look at the handout if it helps. Um, I have the four concerns, and each one of those would be what kind of servant would you be if you're, if you're not doing it the way Paul says. So the first concern is, that, is for the spiritual unity of believers. It says that, um, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in of one mind. So it's having the mind of Christ, the same mindset of Christ, but also being united as a church congregation in the work of Christ. And Paul says it in full accord of one mind. Like, let, let me emphasize this one more time. You know, having the same mind of Christ, the one mind of Christ. So he's very concerned about the spiritual unity. So we can go wrong if we are so many papers. (laughs) If we are, uh, he's saying, don't be a bringer of strife servant. It's possible to cause dissension in the body of Christ by the attitude we bring to our serving Christ. We are called to seek the unity of believers, not just I want to be a great servant, right? I want to serve, you know, as I, you know, show, show how, how, how much my commitment is. I, I've discovered there is, God loves to do this. He loves to bring different kinds of people together into a body of believers. He, he just does. People do not think the same. If, you, if you're trying to serve Christ in any real way, you know, sometimes we'll kind of go off on our solo things. Well, I just serve and I do it on my own. And I don't. The way it tends to work in the church is we are working side by side with people. In fact, back in chapter 1, Paul talked about striving side by side for the, for the message of the gospel. Um, you're going to find people think differently than you. And, and you're called to be united with them. And it, it just... It's just amazing. I think God likes to do it. I think he, God loves diversity. And sometimes I'm aghast, like, how could you think that? Well, they do. And so part of the fun of this, you know, serving the Lord is you find people just think differently about things than you do. And you're going to discover other people, other sincere, faithful believers will not see things the same way that you do. But you've got to work with them anyways. And you've got to work together. And you got to be of one mind and full of cord while you do it. So don't be a bringer of strife servant. Be willing to, to let other people have different attitudes, and you got to figure out together how to, how to stay together in Christ. Paul's second concern um, is that they would wa- uh, walk in humility. Oh, the second concern is that they'd walk in humility by the attitude they bring to serving Christ. So it's, it's, it's our, our humility. Don't be a, a self-promoter servant. Right? You can serve in a way where you want to be seen and recognized. Jesus says, when you, when you do something for God, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That's hard because we want to be, you know, if we do something good, we want to be recognized for it. Um, 
what calls to mind is, is I remember like for a while my dad was my basketball coach and, and this was a big thing for him. He says, don't be a, a ball hog, right? You could be a ball hog kind of Christian. And, and you know what a ball hog would do if like, you're, you know, you're on the team and someone else has the ball, you get to a point and say, ball, ball, right? I'm open, I'm open, hit me. Like you want the ball so bad. My dad said, don't ever do that. Instead, if, you, if, if they're not passing you the ball, go set a pick so that someone else gets open and they get a chance to do it. And on that, that's exactly what is. Don't, oops, don't call for the ball, right? Don't be a self-promoter servant. Um, you know, serve in humility. Walk in humility. It, it says, verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Right? Don't try to raise yourself up um, to be seen as this great servant, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. I, I do remember where God sort of drilled this into my head, and it, it, I wasn't from New York, but I, I was at Saranac Lake, and I was, had an assignment, and my, my, my exalted job was I was head of the dishwasher crew. Right? So I was a young adult, and I had a bunch of high school kids, and so we were behind the scenes, and, you know, um, and there's just that little part of me that, you know, Oh, those guys up front, they're funny, and they, they do all the games, and I want to be that. And yet, the call was, serve God where he's placed you. Don't be a self-promoter servant. The third concern Paul called is verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So it's, don't be a, a, do not be self-centered. Don't be an inconsiderate servant. See, our nature is we want to make sure that our interests are taken care of, whatever that interest may be. And that could be a ministry interest, right? It could be something you want because you think this is the right thing for the church, a decision that that needs to be made. And so you want to make sure whatever interest you're focused on is first met. Then you'll be okay with, well, then then we'll consider your interests, right? You consider my interests first, then I'll think about you. But what happens if everyone is doing that? You think about my interest. No, you think about my interest first. No, you think about mine. And so you, it doesn't work. Jesus says, consider the interests of others first. Right? What do they need for this to work for them? What do they need for this to, to, to go? What, what, what's their fear? When I, I'm, I've noticed when there's conflict, it's trying to drill down... What, what's your fear? What's your worry in this situation? What are you afraid is going to be missed or not done? And if you can get to that point and let someone say, here's what I really want to make sure happens. Because sometimes the things they're fighting for is not the, the thing they're most worried about. You've got to find the interest behind the position. What are the thing? What's their fear? And if you can deal with their interest, sometimes, and then, then they then say, okay, if we do this, would that work for you? Yeah. Can we make sure we do this too? Oh, sure. We can do that. That's when the body of Christ is in full accord. Right? Don't be an inconsiderate servant. Only thinking about what you need, what you think is important. You've got to listen well to others. Hear their concerns. Sometimes you've got to put their concerns first and trust that God will, will meet your interest along the way. That takes faith. 
But that's what it means to be a disciple. Fourth concern, that we would have the same mindset of Christ as we serve. Um, Don't be a too high and mighty servant. (laughs) You know, I can't do this. I have too many other important things going on. I I can't, um, I also call this the self-absorbed servant, the one who's only thinking about themselves. But uh, I can't help but think of a story one of my seminary professors talked about when he was doing uh, pastoral work in a rural area that had kind of a, a small septic system. And he said, they, you know, I can relate to this now, that they were having a septic issue in the, the church. And so they dug the hole and it, it seemed like something was blocked and no one wanted to get in and unblock it. And so he did it. The pastor got in the pit and he somehow, whatever it was, and it got unblocked very well. And yeah. And so, I mean, it was a great story. But he says, you know what, that congregation after that knew that they would listen to him, right? Because they knew he had their interest in mind, not just his own. He was not too high and mighty to get into the pit of of the junk of this world, right? Um, We need to be willing to step down the ladder. Now, I say this. And to be honest, even as I plan this message, I feel weird giving this message. I, I, I wonder, did God give me this message really just for me? Because as I tell you this, these are all areas I struggle. And I, maybe every pastor does, maybe every servant does, right? As, as I reflect on my ministry, I'm like, oh man, I have been all four of these. I have been a bringer of strife servant. I have been a self-promoter servant. This is not easy. And um, so I was, I was thinking about one particular instant. I, it's 20 years old, so I can share it now. Uh, but it's when I was a, a associate pastor, youth pastor at a ch- church. It was actually my first time after leaving Young Life staff. And so I went to a very traditional old school church. And they, they had two hymnals in the pew, the old hymnal and the blue hymnal, the red, the red, you know, so, so, and so it was very traditional. And one of the things they were interested in is that I would help maybe develop some, some more contemporary worship and, and do that. And there was a lot of conflict within that. And so some people wanted hymns from the red hymnal, someone at the blue hymnal. And here I come saying, we should do a chorus, right? You know, what, what got me thinking about it is we sang God of Wonders. That was like the, the favorite song for the teenagers because I was still working with the teens. Like I wanted music that, that could help draw them into worship. And that was my interest. I wanted music that would draw in the teens and help them be a part of worship and not just, oh, man, we're singing a bunch of hymns today. You know, so I came in with that interest. But there were other people that says, we have sung these hymns all our life, and I, you know, I can't imagine not singing these hymns and singing this other music that means nothing to me. And, and so you could see where all this was. And, and I'll tell you, I probably was a bringer of strife servant in the way I approached it. Now, the head pastor was much wiser, and he was very focused on the unity, the spiritual unity of the congregation. And I was, so, so it, it all worked out, you know, I mean, like, it was a learning purpose, 
But as I look back, I'm just saying I struggle with, with all of these kind of ways of these concerns that Paul has and these ways of, of serving the Lord but getting it wrong. Um, what I want you to do, what I'm going to ask you to do is I want to reflect on, I want you to reflect. How have you, what kind of servant have you been? I mean, have you said yes to being a servant? Do you have that mindset? And have you, you know, do you need to think through, have you kind of drifted into some of these for a bringer of strife servant? Have you served in a way that that caused dissension in the body of Christ? Have you been a self-promoter servant? You really want to be seen and recognized when you do something for the Lord. Have you been an inconsiderate servant? Not willing to take the other interest of others in mind and always having to get exactly what you want first? Have you been a too high and mighty servant? Right? Ah, oh, I want to be, I can't, get, I can't do that because I, I have more important things to do. May the Holy Spirit just give us the ability. As the worship team comes forward, banana. <laughs> I was like, we were always like, what should we do to, to know when to come forward? So, there you go. Um, can I ask you to reflect on, on how, what kind of servant do you want to be? Can we follow Jesus together in a way that honors Christ, in a way that builds the body of Christ? Let me pray. Lord, Father, I thank you that um, your love was such that, that you sent your son. And Jesus, I, I, I know my heart rebels against the idea of stepping down because I, I want to I step up. But Jesus, you stepped down, you humbled yourself, became obedient to death, and even death on a cross for my good, for our good. Lord, enable us to be, be servants in the same, same way that you, you served us. Give us insight and wisdom to our own heart and give us the strength to follow you as you have, um, follow you as you have served us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.